It's a new year. How many of you made resolutions? So I made resolutions. Some people are like, ah, forget about it. I made a resolution to look fit and trim this new year. And I've already fulfilled it. I bought bigger shirts. <laughs> Ready to go. So, uh, no, this is the time of year where we, you know, when you're standing at the end of a new year, you're standing at the very beginning with the, the first Sunday of a new year. And it's a time where we think there's, new, there's hope. There's hope for change. Either I can reconcile this relationship, I can fix myself, I can lose that weight, I can better my mind, I could write that book, I could go to take that class, I could, uh, maybe this will be the year, in my, I can change my parenting, I can help my marriage, or, or work with my children, or work with my parents, or fix my finances, or whatever it might be. It's the time where hope floats, where, where we think about hope, and where, where we, we can dream a little bit. But it's not too long, not too long after those resolutions and we get all excited, that reality comes crashing in. And we're right back where we were, and then we become very bitter and disappointed. We don't want to make any more resolutions because the disappointment and the frustration is too great. And I think about that, and the reason that many of us struggle is because we lack the power to change. Now, it's interesting, though. If you're a believer in Christ, that God doesn't just work in your power. He gives you His Spirit to help empower you, to change you, to transform you. When I became a Christian, I surrendered my life to Christ. I suddenly had a peace that overflowed my life. I had a peace with God. I had peace with others. And uh, I had this rest, the sense of contentment. But I also had this development of a holy discontent in that I longed for Christ's name to be made known. I longed to be used of God. I, I wasn't satisfied just going through my day-to-day that I, I wanted to make God known. And it's like every other desire that I had was to point to Him. And I realized that all of the desires that God has given us is to point to Him that will have their ultimate fulfillment with Him. So we'll have a a discontent now that will be completely filled later. You know, uh, we see this in Scripture that others have had this discontent. In Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 through 2, I'd like to share this with you. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. It's this holy discontent that I long for something more. And we know that there's something more. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And all of our earthly pleasures and things we experience are to point to our ultimate contentment and fulfillment in Him. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. He said this. We've shared this before. The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food to satisfy it. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was, and if you can read that, made for another world. He goes on and says, If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to suggest the real thing. 
If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy, echo, or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed. That's a good metaphor. Snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to the other country and to help others do the same. See, Lewis was expressing the idea that all the pleasures that we experience on earth are only a shadow or echo or mirage of what is to come. We're to long for this heavenly country. The earthly pleasures that we experience are only meant to point us to the greatest pleasure of knowing and enjoying Christ in eternity. We were made for a relationship with Him, and we groan until that day when we shall see Him face to face. As Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 22 through 33, this longing, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I don't know if you've ever witnessed labor pains firsthand or experiencing them. But that's a pretty good metaphor. This longing. I remember with my wife for each child. She'd be, she didn't even walk anymore. She kind of waddled. And I'm like, how do you feel, honey? She's like, I want this baby out. I want out. I want to I move on. And that's how I feel about my walk with God. I want more. I want this to move on. I want to experience Him. The joy for all He is. Just as I remember looking at my wife's belly and watching the pokes and the movements and, and the kicks and seeing it, and you have all these questions. What is this child going to be like? When's he going to get here? What's he going to do? And I think about that with God, that he's kind of poked into our world. And when do I get to really meet him face to face and see him in all his glory? Paul was writing about this, this pleasure that we were made for another world, and that we groan, and we have a holy discontent until we, we see it. And if We have this holy discontent, this longing for God. We want to see wrong made right, to see God glorified in all aspects or sovereign in all aspects of life in our world and will not be satisfied until it occurs. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not obey your law. We long to see God made and glorified in every aspect of our life. It tortured Jeremiah. This holy discontent that he, he couldn't stop. That's why he says in Jeremiah 20 verse 9, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary of withholding it in and I cannot. It's a holy discontent. He had this, had this desire to do what God wanted him to do. God kept drawing him and he wasn't going to be content until he did what God wanted him to do. And Paul experienced something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I don't preach. I feel this inward desire and burn to make his name known. I have a holy discontent until the name of Christ is, is given and ex- expanded to the farthest reaches of eternity. We long for God's kingdom and we long to see his kingdom come and his will being done as we see in Matthew 6, 9, in what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. We long to see his will be done on earth, to see lives transformed, to see ourselves experiencing the joy of knowing him, that the joy of the Lord becomes our strength, becomes purpose, becomes peace and contentment. Contentment, but yet discontent. The more we are content in that we understand that this world can't solve our contentment issues, the more we will have a holy discontent as long to see the world made different. Now, as I've been thinking about this and standing at the beginning of this new year and thinking about what all that God has for us and what is God's plan for us as a church this year, and, and I think that God, and I do believe that God is working in our body. I believe that God is turning people to Him, that increasing in holiness. He's drawing people who do not yet know Him. He's helping people and confronting them with reality of their sin and their need to repent and turn to Him. And I see other people taking steps of faith. And, and yet I also see this apathy involved where people are just going through the motions. Going through the motions. And I'm saying, God, why aren't you working in and through us? I mean, if, if as Paul wrote, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine, why isn't he doing that? Is, not, is either that he's not able, which I believe he is, or we're not looking for it. You know that God often operates in accordance with our faith? You know, the scripture says that. I don't have these verses up there, but Jesus couldn't do mer- certain miracles or many miracles because uh, in certain cities because of their lack of faith. Matthew 13, 58. It says that he couldn't do it because of their lack of faith. There's another one I don't have in the slides, but um, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, Jesus gets ready to heal somebody, and he says this, according to your faith be it done to you. Is the reason that we're not experiencing God in all of his fullness and all of this that he could do more abundantly than we could ask or imagine, is it because that we don't have faith? We don't desire and long for what, who God is. I think that many of us are, have a comfortable Christianity of just going through the motions. That's an addition to our life. Something that just makes us feel good, feel moral, but we don't like it invading into the very private areas. But Jesus won't stop until he has all of us. And a comfortable Christianity is not true biblical Christianity. Because God has a way of making us uncomfortable as he's drawing us to himself, as he's placing us in this holy discontent. Today, we're going to look in to see what God has for us, because I believe God has so much more. He has desire so much more for us as a body and for his individuals, and this is what we're going to look in today. But before that, let's pray. Father, I, ask, I come before you and I ask humbly that you speak to us. Lord, we know that your word will not return void, but will accomplish for every purpose for which it has been intended. And Lord, I pray that your word might go forth like a flood. And you might change us, you might transform us, saturate us with the truth of who you are, that we might go forth changed. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God desires to bless us in ways that we can't fathom. Now, I'm not talking about prosperity, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel, but with himself. That's why we have misconstrued the verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37, 4. And most people just interpret that whatever they want. But God is talking about himself. Do you delight yourself in the Lord? He will give you himself, which is our greatest heart's desire of which all of these earthly desires point to and find their fulfillment in him. So we come before him asking him to transform us 
and use us. Now, this letter was written to the church at Ephesus. This church was a a very wealthy city. It was a port city. Uh, We don't know exactly the purpose for which he was writing. If there was any problem, he's encouraging them. He's dealing with uh, explaining aspects of the gospel. In other words, he's blowing their mind with what the, the gospel really is. And he's going through this and he's showing them who God is. And yet, many fail to realize it. You know, that's how many of us are in our walk with God. We fail to realize what we have. This past week in California, um, there was a man who had won the lottery. He'd won $324 million, and he didn't even know it. He'd gone on vacation, left his lottery ticket at home, went on vacation, had some fun, came back, and this big lottery came out, and he's just walking around. Huh, that'd be great. And not realizing that he had the winning ticket at home in his possession. See, God is telling us, I have some great blessing for you. You've already got it in your possession, and you don't even know it. You're not even taking advantage of it. You're just passing by your days, not realizing all of the treasures that God has for you in and through Christ. That he has blessed us in ways unimaginable. And what he has and wants to do for us is beyond description. So how can we tap into what God has for us? It begins with God. It begins with relooking and rethinking who God is. And for that to happen requires us changing our perspective. We have to look at things differently. That's the first point that I want you to write down. It involves us changing our perspective. It's amazing how perspective changes things. It really is. I saw a video this past week that illustrated that. It was of a blind man sitting out in kind of a city square, and he's sitting there, and it says, Blind, homeless, please help. He has this cardboard sign cardboard, you know, written on cardboard. And people are coming by, and some people are throwing change. But for the most part, people are just walking by. Until one woman is strolling by, and she, she sees the sign. She walks past. She stops, turns around, and she lean, uh, stands right in front of the guy. And he senses that she's there, so he starts feeling her shoes. Kind of freaks her out, but he keeps feeling her shoes. And she picks up his sign. And she takes out this marker, and she starts to write something on it. And then she puts, uh, puts the marker back in the cap, sets it down, and then walks away. And then you see people just start dropping money. Dropping money at the guy. And finally, the woman comes back, and she looks at him, and he feels her shoes again, and he goes, what did you write on the sign? He goes, I just used, I said the same thing you did, just different. He couldn't read it, he didn't know, and she walked away. And then the camera zooms in on the sign, and it says, it's a beautiful day, and I can't see it. It changed people's perspective. See, we have to change our perspective about who God is. We don't just say he's God and he's beyond our ability to fathom, but he's so much more in our lives and desires to do so much more in our lives as we surrender to him. But that requires us changing our perspective. Now, how do we then change our perspective? Well, first of all, it involves studying his perfections. This is a theological way of talking about his attributes, his characteristics. The more that we learn about who he is, the more our mind is blown the more our mind is expanded because there's nothing greater to contemplate than God. There's no other greater person. There's no other greater uh, any, any, for, the, for the ability of the mind to even fathom than God. That he knows what you're thinking right now. That time is present with him. Like you're experiencing time as it is right now. He sees you being born and dying and having children and it's all present in his sight. Now don't ask me how, to, how he does it. I have no clue. He's God. I'm not. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. 
He's immutable. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is omniscient, omnipotent. He has complete power. He is the sovereign God. Now, he has allowed evil to exist for a period of time, and he's not removed from it, but made himself susceptible to it by coming to identify with us in the person of his son and, and placing himself at the very hands of evil to show the great extent of his love for you and me. So we study his perfections, and we realize that God can't fail. Because when we learn about who he is, that helps us to see how he operates. You know, it's like that movie, and I've shared this before, the story of Armageddon. Remember that movie with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck in it? Remember that movie? And, you know, there's like the doomsday thing, and Meteor's going to blow up the earth. And, and uh, they, have to, they have this mission that they're on that they have to blow up this asteroid. And ends up, the person being chosen is uh, Bruce Willis's character, Harry Stamper. And he gets ready to do it, and he keeps having problems. And, they, and the, the, the pilot, is they have to leave this guy behind. He's going to die to save everybody, which is a Christ-like picture, by the way, of him dying to give his life to save everyone else. But as he's getting ready to do it, it keeps failing. And they're like, the, the pilot of the plane that's escaping is like, we've got to do it now. Either we're, we're going to have to figure something out. We've got to do it because he's failing. And Ben Affleck goes, give him a moment. Harry doesn't know how to fail. He doesn't know how to fail. You know, that's how God is. He doesn't know how to fail. He won't fail. He can't fail. It's against his nature. He will not fail at all. All of his promises will come to pass. Every single one, no matter how bad the earth and the world gets, God's promises, they're not going to thwart him. You know, in Psalm 2, it says that God, he who sits in heaven laughs. As the nations rage and the people plot in vain, God laughs. I mean, come on. It's like an ant yelling at the ocean in the middle of a tsunami. I'm going to stop you. Sorry. In the words of MC Hammer, you can't touch this. Okay? So, we have to change our perspective. Now, knowing that God cannot fail, we must make sure that we are then clinging to his promises. See, God makes a promise to us in this passage. He says he is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or Think. Ask or think. Now, the word for able is the word dunameno, from which we get our word dynamite, but we've got to be careful not to import a meaning from this century back in on that. But it's the understanding of power, ability, he who is able. It's describing this continual, uh, in the Greek, it's uh, showing and using, uh, showing us a continual advantage that we have by our relationship with him. Now, far more abundantly means superabundantly, quite beyond all measure, greatly exceeding all boundaries. The form is the highest form of comparison imaginable, and infinitely more than that. That God is far more able than anything we can even ask or think, our imaginations can even conceive of. And he has made himself available to us. And what do we do? Nothing. We don't do anything. We need to cling to his promises that he has made within his word, and he delights when we do that. When we hold on to him, when we cling to his promises and do what he wants us to do, we must give ourselves over to him, cling to his promises, and then make sure that we are embracing God's plans. God has plans. He has laid it out. We need to get with him because his plans are going to come to pass the thing that many of us don't do though is we don't want god's plans because we don't like his plans we'd rather do our own thing thank you very much and many of us have the scars because of those plans 
choices, consequences that we've had to deal with. We all have them. There is no, no person in this room without sin. We've all struggled in many ways, and many of us bear in our lives the, the, the scars of those sinful cho- or selfish choices. We have to embrace God's plan, which means surrendering ourselves to him and doing what he has purposed and made us to do, and that is to bring his name glory. And it's part of his plans. Look at verse 21 of Ephesians 3. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, that his plan is to glorify the name of God forever and ever. To glorify his name, he wants to make his name known. will not let anything else thwart the plans that he has set in place. We should therefore embrace his plans. Now, not only are we to be embracing his plans, but we're to be seeking God's purpose. Seeking God's purpose for our lives. Now, what does that mean? I've got a few different things that I want to draw out from that. First of all, it means praying his will. Praying his will. If we're going to embrace his purpose, it involves us seeking his face, seeking his purposes, and praying his will. Because verses 20 and 21 are the conclusion of a prayer started in verse 14. It's the doxology, the end of this prayer. He desires us to seek his purpose, which means praying his purposes to come to pass. As 1 John 5, 13 through 15 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. To his will, not our will. See, we have this way of importing our will on God. We need to put our will under his and say, I'm going to pray your will. And how do we pray God's will? What does that look like? Well, it means... Praying to his will means praying according to anything he delights to have happen. Now, many of us think, oh, pray for so-and-so to be my wife or my husband. Okay, I understand that. God created man not to be alone. But it's bigger than that. See, the praying, the will of God is thing that he delights to have happen. And I'm praying for us as a church that some of these things that he has laid within his word are the will of God and that we might pray that according to him and I think he will bless it. I think he already is. Praying that we might be able to take care of the widow and the orphan and the refugee. Do you know that we have about 19 Muslims sitting in our sanctuary Monday through Friday? We're having Hindus and Buddhists. We're having people from these other countries coming in. Did you know that we are, according to Scripture, to give a cup of cold water to those who are are thirsty? To give food to those who are hungry? To give clothing to those that are naked? To take care of the poor, the destitute? I'm praying that God gives us those opportunities. Do you think God's going to answer that? You better believe it. I don't even have a doubt. I don't have a doubt of that at all. That's praying according to the will of God. And not only that, praying that he would send workers into his harvest field. Some of you need to step into leadership. It's time. Or you need to volunteer. Maybe you need to take that first step and just volunteer for something. And I'm praying Matthew 9, 37 for our church, which is this. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God is bringing more and more people. That despite the attendance today, because <laughs> I know people are out of snow and traveling, God is bringing more and more people. And that means we need to be ready to disciple them. It's not about just making numbers, folks. It's not about just building a big church. It's not. It's about loving Jesus to the point of transformation. Loving one another to the point of sacrifice. Loving our neighbor to the point of action. Discipling those that God has brought in. And we need people to step into those leadership positions. Because you know what? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. But my job is to help train you to do the work of the ministry. 
You're to serve. Did you know that? We're all to serve. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to serve. You cannot be like Jesus without serving. Jesus said very clearly, I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So if you want to be like Jesus, it means serving other people. Stop getting spiritually fat and being anonymous. Step into the light and take the next step that God has for you in him. So we need to make sure that we are praying his will and also doing his work. Do you think that God wants to bless our body? I believe he does. In such a way that only his name receives glory, though. Not any other person. Only his name will receive glory. I've been reading a book on the leadership secrets of Billy Graham. And one of the things that he was acutely aware of, that it was about Jesus. And as soon as he would take credit, he knew that his entire ministry would fail. That it was always about Jesus. It was his humility. That's what stood out. Are we about ourselves? We about, care about more about ourselves getting credit and acknowledgement or about God receiving glory and honor and praise. It means doing his work. And his work, and according to his work, which is found in his word, is that the fields are white for harvest and that there are people ready to respond to the message of Jesus. That means you need to take that next step. You need to talk to that person. Start that conversation of faith. Expand it. I hope and I pray that our little thing back there, little, I don't even know what to call it, box of glass, glass box okay it's got stones in it these are conversations that have taken place where people have outed themselves as christian invited someone to church that needs to be filled by easter four months now we're not just here to fill it that's not my per i could care less about that what i care is is are you taking the initiative to start the conversation of faith that's what i care about that's just a means of looking at it do we care enough to do his work because the fields are white for harvest and then God's purpose requires us praying his will, doing his work, and then responding in worship. Responding in worship. Look at the last part of, that, of our passage for today. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We find our greatest delight and joy when we are doing what God has purposed and made us to do, and that is to worship him. How are you in your worship? How are you in your worship today? Did you lift high your voice? You might be a guy and say, I don't sing. Make a joyful noise. Get over it. Okay? Sing unto the Lord a new song. God has made us to sing and praise. I think the reason that many of us don't sing and praise is because we don't love. We're not engaged. I'm amazed at the people that aren't at all engaged in church, but yet when the bears play, we have a lot to say. <laughs> you know? And, and usually it's a lot of yelling. So don't do that to me if I do a bad part in the message. Okay? But it's, it's about being engaged. And the reason that we, we, we respond is because our heart is in it. The reason that many times that we're not responding in worship is because our heart's not in it. We've yet to truly know who God is and what he has done. God desires that we spot, respond in worship. And I pray that this year that we are ardent worshipers who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And not just in our singing, but in our work, in our generosity in our service. Let us live our lives in such a way that he will receive glory. Now I want to focus on the next part of this verse, according to the power that is at work within us. What power is that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. As Paul wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 6-7, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gives us, gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. 
It is the Holy Spirit. And we must fan into flame or be filled with the Spirit. So let us make sure that we are cultivating the power at work within us. Because see that the power that was at work in raising Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Transforming you and changing you. But many of us are so busy delighting in the things of this world and we're so busy that we can't focus on the person of who God is and all that he has for us. Now, how do we then be filled with the Spirit? How do we fan that into flame? Well, first of all, it involves applying the Scriptures. Applying the Scriptures. God, his word is God-breathed. It is alive. It is transformative. It is a surgeon's scalpel for our soul. Cutting us, removing the sin of unbelief, the cancer of unbelief, helping us to live for righteousness. We can't do and, and pursue God without applying His Word to our lives. You know, the other day, uh, the law went into effect where you can't drive in the state of Illinois without a hands-free device, right? So I want to get on that. I went and bought one of these things. I slip on my visor at Target, right? And being a man, what do you do when you open up the box, you attach it, what do you do? Booyah. You throw away the instructions. Okay? That's what I did. And now, you know what? I can't work this stupid thing. Okay? I got to flip it on. I'm figuring it out slowly. But how much better would I have been if I would have read the directions? Right? To hold on to it. See, that's how many of us are with the Bible. We're just like, oh, we can do it, God. We don't need you. When he's laid it out for us, how he wants us to live and how he wants us to love and how he wants us to grow and all of the joy and things that he has for us. And we just walk by it day after day. We become bored and it becomes passe because our minds become so dull to the truth of who he is. But we have to apply the scriptures. Secondly, we have to abandon selfish pursuits. See, many of us are pursuing something other than God, thinking that will bring us happiness and joy. And it might for a short time, just like drinking some ocean water might initially quench your thirst, but only for a moment. Because as soon as you drink that salt water, what happens? You become more thirsty. The same is true when we, when we keep doing our own will. We keep trying to find other things and more things to fill, and, and, and we never find satisfaction. We have to go to Christ, abandon selfish pursuits. And that means taking up our cross daily, dying to self, and embracing his agenda for our lives, doing what he wants us to do. So we have to abandon selfish pursuits. And that leads me to my next point. We need to make sure that we are forsaking sin. I think we, bec- we have a pretty tame view of sin And I pray that God forgive us for that. That we might awaken to the reality of sin because many people say, I can hold on to this sin and then I can do this in my life and it's okay. And and when we say that we can hold on to sin and have Christ, we're saying and nullifying the cross of Christ. We are mocking God. You You can't stay, have Christ and continue in your sin. You can't. I mean, many of us think that sin isn't going to destroy us, but that's like standing in front of an engine of a 747. And eventually, the closer you get, it's going to suck you in. It's going to pull you off your feet. You have to get away from that so it doesn't suck you in. The life of Christ and holding on to sin are incompatible. We cannot continue in our life of sin. We have to turn away from it. I did the funeral of a man who had committed suicide. I preached the news of Christ and told those present that if he truly trusted in Christ and he was saved, even if he went through a great despair, and did a terrible sin in a weak moment. But see, I wasn't sure of his eternal state. 
I didn't know enough about him, and I, when I preached the sermon, I couldn't go up there and say, he's in glory. I just couldn't. I just said, God is merciful. If you truly trusted in Christ and he did something in a weak moment, then he's still saved. But if, he's, if he didn't trust in Christ, then he's not saved, and he's in hell. And I had two women approach me, and they said, you know, he's in glory. I said, well, what do you base that on? They just said, well, he just is. And it's like, you know what? Many of us would rather deal with that and have everybody in heaven, because if we do, then no, we, we put ourselves in. But we, the thing is, is we don't look at what God's word says. God's word is very cl- clear that there is no other name given unto men by which we must be saved. That is through the name of Jesus Christ that, men, th- that a person is saved. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the not life. Not a way, a truth, a life. He is exclusively the only way, the truth, and the life. And you can't hold your sin and have the Savior. You have to repent of your sin and embrace the Savior. And that means you have eternal life. Now someone say, well, it sounds like you're advocating works. No, Scripture is very clear that we're saved by faith and faith alone. However, our faith is revealed by our works. I have people come to me often, and they say to me, I'm saved. And I look at their life, and I go, you know, I really don't think so, because the Scripture is pretty clear that what you're doing is sinful. I don't mean to be a jerk and just laying it out for you, because I care about you. And they say, well, I'm all good. I'm glad you're okay with that, because the Bible sure not. The Bible says that you are to repent of your sins and receive Christ as Savior and then live a life of holiness. And so when people say to me, I'm saved, I'm like, don't tell me. Show me. Show me by your life. Now, I'm not saying show me. I'm saying show God. God is the one that matters, not me. I'm nothing. Show it by living a holy life. As the scripture says, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Cultivating the power at work within us also requires us communing with the Spirit. Communing with the Spirit. Now, I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to slim down this year. And uh, so I have a kind of a wager with my brother to see who can get their body mass index in place rightly. Right now, I think I'm losing. Uh, and it's for a dollar. Okay, one dollar. And bragging rights. So, and so he goes, because I, I don't bet. Okay, I just don't bet. And I, I, I said to my brother, and he's like, we need to put some substantial money behind this. And I said, I can't do that. And he goes, one dollar. I'm like, you're in. Let's do this. Okay. And so I got these beach body shakes. You ever had one of those things? It's like a powder shake. You put it in with ice, you drink it. So I get out the blender. I'm ready to have this snack meal thing. And I put it in. I put the ice in and run the blender. And nothing's happening. I hit the button. I kept hitting the button, crushed ice. All the, I never wish to know which button to hit. You, do you just hit all the buttons? That's what I do. They all do the same thing. You know. So I hit the button, and nothing's happening. And I realized why. It wasn't plugged in. Okay? Yeah. I, went to, I got a master's degree, baby. <laughs> Smart guy. Okay? All that school. Woo-hoo-hoo! My mom is so happy. Um, but I had to plug it in. See, that's how many of us are, many of us are though. See, we're designed to be plugged in. We don't work until we're plugged in with God. Many of us aren't plugged in. And you have to be plugged in. It means you have to be connected. The scripture calls that abiding in Christ. John chapter 15. As Jesus said, unless I abide in you, or you abide in me, and my words abide in you, that's eternal life. It's the connected life. And that means communing with God, praying with God, seeking his face, doing these spiritual disciplines to help train us to be godly. We have to be connected. To God. If not, we can keep pressing the button all day long. We got no power. 
We have to be connected with what God desires, communing with the Spirit of God in prayer and through reading His Word. And then lastly, for us to cultivate the power at work within us this year requires us taking the proper steps. Now, I'm I'm challenging each one of us in this room today. What is the next step that God has for you in his, your walk with him? Some of you, it means receiving Christ. You have yet, you have held on to your sin. You have resisted him. God is calling you to receive him as Lord and Savior. That's your next step. For others, it's being baptized. Now's the time. If you have this relationship with Christ, it's time to show it publicly. You might say, oh, I've been a Christian for years. I just have, I haven't done it yet. It's time now. Don't wait. Don't make any excuses. Do it. Nike's got a great term, man, motto, just do it. Just do it. Maybe for others it's stepping into that leadership. Maybe for others it's joining a small group and being in a community. We have small groups that meet through the week between about 8 and 12 uh, individuals, and we we study the passage that um, I preach the week before I preach it. And it's a time to to read the Word of God for yourself, to apply it to your life, to meet with other uh, believers that are learning and growing. They're not perfect people. Don't be freaked out. They're in process like you. Hopefully we're growing together. If you want to sign up for a group, pull out that friendship registry and sign up for it or talk to to Patty. She's in the back. She can help hook you in for a small group. It starts up this week. So you need to make sure you have lesson 14 done, by the way. Okay. For others, it might be forsaking sin or others, it might be praying or reading the Bible this year. What is your next step that God has Stepping into service opportunities. God keeps bringing more people, and we need people to do service. Some of the other people have been doing, they've been doing it faithfully. They're getting weary. We're to come alongside them in whatever way possible. Whatever your gift is, maybe you can shovel snow. Okay, maybe you're good with finances. Maybe you're good with uh, construction. Maybe you're good with cleaning. Maybe you're good with counting. Maybe you're good with music. Maybe you have a a good, in, in some way, we'll find a way to use whatever your gifts are. Because there's a way to use it for the kingdom of God. I promise you that. There is no one size fits all. God has many different ways to glorify his name. So that's how we fulfill that holy discontent within us, is we keep doing what God wants us to do. Are you willing to do that this year? Are you willing to take that step of faith? Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to join? Are you willing to take that step of baptism or maybe to receive Christ? Or maybe it's to, to give faithfully, to be a tither, or giving generously. Whatever it is, what does God have? And are you ready to take that next step with him? Let's do so this year together. If you need help with that, please see myself or Scott Brown, one of our other elders, or uh, someone who you know is a mature Christian that can help you in that fact. We would love to have you do it because when you do, what happens? You increase in joy joy doing what God has made you and purposed you to do. Because God desires to do more than us than we imagine ourselves. We have very limited imaginations. You know, J.B. Phillips wrote a book several years ago called Your God is Too Small. I think that's the case. We've domesticated God. We don't realize who he is. God is the life-changing God that he wants us to reach the entire world for the gospel. Did you know that? My goal this year, and not just for this year, but uh, and I hope as it's a prayer of us as a church that we want to see the evangelization of the world in this generation. Yeah, I don't think, if God is ready to do above and more than we could ever ask or imagine, why don't we pray that way? You know, it's interesting. This is what J.R. Um, Mott, John R. Mott said several years ago, and this was a missionary conference in 1910, and he was fueled by this vision, the evangelization of the world in this generation. 
So I say, let's have big dreams for God this year. I say, let's take the words of William Carey, pioneer and missionary to India, known as the father of the modern missions movement, who said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. God desires that we do that. And I'm not talking about foolishly or recklessly, but by the Spirit, as we seek counsel, as we go to the Word of God, as we seek His face in prayer, let's do that. Why can't God bless us tremendously this year? What's keeping, what's keeping that from happening? Let's take God at his word. Take those steps of faith for his glory and our joy. Amen? Amen. Let's close our message time in a word of prayer. Father, Lord, I know that there are some who are here who have not yet surrendered their life to you. Lord, I pray that they might repent of their sins. They might turn to you. You have laid it forth within your word very clearly that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And this is eternal life that we believe in you, the one that you have sent, Jesus. Lord, may we place our faith and trust in you. May we turn away from sin and repentance and embrace you as Savior. And Lord, for those who are waiting to take that next step, I pray you make it abundantly clear. And by the power of your spirit, you lay such a conviction upon them that they cannot rest until they fulfill that burden. That they might experience the fullness of joy that you have for each one of us who are in Christ Jesus. We might experience and tap into that joy. Lord, that we might turn away from sin and embrace you as Savior. Lord, please, you are the one who can do far more abundantly than we could ever even ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Lord, to your name be glory. And not just now, forevermore, throughout all generations. Lord, here we are. Use us. Transform us. Do such a work in us that only your name can receive glory. There might be revival, that there might be transformation, that people might come from all backgrounds and all walks of life because of your name being proclaimed. Lord, that's our hope. That's our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.